1: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Director Liesl Tommy hopes her Aretha Franklin biopic Respect will be considered this award season, competing against the tragedy of Macbeth, which opens this week. So I thought it was fitting to bring back our 2017 conversation about her production of Macbeth at DC's Shakespeare Theatre, starring Jesse Perez and Nicole Salter. Hi,
2: I'm Jesse J. Perez, and I'm playing Macbeth.
3: Hi, I'm Nicole Salter. I'm playing Lady Macbeth. Hi, I'm Liesl Tommy, and I'm playing the director. (laughs)
1: <laughs> awesome. So we have the people you're going to see on stage and the people that are running the show behind the stages is going to be great. But wait, did we already commit the cardinal sin? Aren't you supposed to not say the name of it or what? I don't yes, know how there is a, be... a
3: longstanding um, belief that you're going to curse yourself in your show if you say the name of the play Macbeth in the theater. But we're not in the theater now, so we're safe. So it doesn't apply
1: to the radio station. <laughs> does not apply to this
3: the structure. <laughs> you I, I, I do not want a lightning bolt or right? something while we're in here.
1: All right, cool. So this you, is a safe space. Welcome, guys. <laughs> hi, hi, hi. But do you honor the tradition while you're at? at-
3: no, not oh. while we're at the theater. It would just be too fatiguing. Because the, the <laughs> ritual is, if you say it, you guys want to, Jesse, you want to tell us what, what has to uh, happen? I
2: think you have to go outside and yeah. go around the theater like five times and then knock on the door. Yeah. And somebody's got to answer the door and let you back yeah. in. Yeah. And uh, there's a whole ritual. I think there's a couple of other steps that other theaters do. But there you get a free pass that when you're actually performing the play that's the only time you're allowed to say it in the theater you're performing
1: it
0: I love when you're performing it that's yeah. right
2: when you're performing it and rehearsing it and so
1: then it, you get the free pass to actually say the word because you have this, to i want to go into the play but how did this even start i've always wondered how do you know how that superstition even started
3: I don't know, but I do know that when I was a young actor, and I would, say, I would say it in the theaters, the older actors would always send me out. And I thought it was a joke, like, you cannot be serious. Like but, hazing or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but no, they, would, they were Truly. dead serious, and because the, they had all been in productions of Macbeth that had gone yeah. horribly wrong. So why? they believed well, I,
0: it. I, I had the experience just a couple of years ago in Berkeley not doing a Shakespeare show at all. I mentioned the name, I don't know why, mm-hmm. and everyone in the dressing room turned and looked at me, and they said, get out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I had they to go outside,
0: you know? I had, had to go around the theater, I had to turn around, I had to knock on the door, someone had to let me back in.
3: Wow. Well, it adds <laughs> to the aura and the Yeah, mystery. you know, there's so much, um, you know, kind of the language of Macbeth is is full of foreboding. It's full of dire prophecies that it just part is part of the lore. It's I kind think of it,
1: cool. I think it adds a little layer to yeah, it. All. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right, well, uh, let's say someone's been living under a rock and hasn't read, I mean, we, I got, we all read it, like, what, middle school probably? Right. High school? Um, so, but just give him the brief, you know, synopsis from the prophecy on, and, you know, the Scottish general, all that stuff. Jesse, you do it. Okay. Uh,
2: it's about this guy who's married to this wonderful woman, and they're madly in love. Wonderful woman. And he's a, <laughs> uh, a soldier, and he's fighting in this war, and he's a great soldier at that. And so as he's out there on the heath after this great war that they thought they were going to lose, along come these uh, three people and whisper something in his ear and say that he's going to be a thane of Cawdor and then be king. He also says some stuff to his friend, but he really doesn't care about that because Mm -hmm. the ambition is sparked and it's something that he's discussed with his wife. And so this little uh, half truth, he decides to make a full truth. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever it takes. Yeah. And with his wife's support, they decide to go on a bloody trail to get
1: to the top. We've seen that in a lot of things. <laughs> yes, we have. House of Cards. Well, Game of Thrones, we could talk about a lot of things. Right. Explain why this is even so relevant and and how these characters keep popping the up and, and manifesting in even new pop culture today.
0: New pop culture and, and new actual culture. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I, <laughs> I like the distinction. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that they're, the themes that exist in Shakespeare's works, this work especially because I'm in it, but in all of them, they resonate so much with our present-day life because they're really about the human condition and humanity. So... Um, when we're looking at a play like Macbeth, which is the making of a tyrant, I think we spend a lot of time, particularly in this town, looking at people who we think have are tyrants, but we never look at how they've become that way. No one starts that way. Um, where does, does, that, does that ambition begin? Um, what kind of mind frame are they in that allows them to pursue that path and to what end? Um, I think that those are things on various levels that we're all a part of. That's a that's a continuum we're all a part of. You have it and I have it. Yeah. We just have it to a different extent and perhaps in a different direction.
1: Hopefully healthier levels. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Hopefully, but
0: not always, you know. Um, and the ways in which we rationalize and justify our behavior to assuage our own um, pain, our own inadequacies, our own uh, lusts. Yeah.
1: What do you like about playing the Lady Macbeth part
0: I like that it's so complex. Um, I think that people always assume that she's, you know, the, the Eve to the Adam mm-hmm. <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of life. And, and I don't think that at all. I think that um, if you look at the given circumstances that Shakespeare has actually given to you, she's a woman in an immense amount of pain, the loss of a child, and what that does to a marriage, and what that does during a time of war, um, and if you're in a society that values womanhood by your capacity to bear children and you and you can't and the one that you had died, um how that messes with your mind yeah um and messes with uh your desire to see your husband to give your husband a, a something equivalent to the family that you can't give him wow, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. let's talk to Mr. Director over here. <laughs> um, you don't need to say Shakespeare's a genius. We all know that. But <laughs> compare this to maybe some some of his other works. I mean, you've grappled with this text over and over again in rehearsals and everything. I mean, we all know Al Damn Spot" and all stuff like that. But what in this one about the prose itself jumps out to you the the more you read it?
3: Well, you know the thing that um, when I was doing the, the pre production text analysis and trying to put together what what my take on um, this would be because when you, when you direct a classic, you know, you have to do two things. You have to do rigorous text analysis, and then you have to figure out where you as a director enter into the story, what, what you are, what you have to contribute. Um, and one of the things that really leapt out at me was how much grief was central to this play. Loss um, of a child. And Loss of, sort of a of child. Stuff. And then there's so many lines in the play that, um involve people lamenting for their country, so oh Scotland, oh my poor country, oh, bleed Scotland, bleed country, that kind of thing over oh, and America. over and over and over again, <laughs> and it felt very um immediate because it was a play, it's a play about you know a, a country divided, and that felt extremely um, relevant um to today, so that sort of became my you know my jumping off point was you know the repetition of the of this lament for um, for our country and then of course um, you just the the uh, as a person in the entertainment business, we all grapple with ambition mm-hmm. and we all grapple with conducting ourselves with integrity in this field. So it felt very um, alive to me the the struggle that Macbeth goes through um, because he doesn't leap into this decision quickly. he has, so many moments where he it's a, it's a really deep and complex and emotional struggle. Um, and uh, which is of course why I cast Jesse J. Perez because he is a deep and complex um, person. he's a he's a badass, but he has <laughs> a great deal of sensitivity. And that, you know, that is always when you can humanize um, an element like ambition and really unpack it, which is what Shakespeare has done. Um, that is something that, is, that will be eternally interesting to audiences because that's something that we, well, no matter what country you are from, no matter where you're from, you have seen or yourself struggled with ambition. Absolutely.
1: Make her blush a little bit. What's so great working with her as a
2: director? Oh,
3: man. <laughs> you know, I, I've known Well, Le- she just called you a
1: badass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've,
2: I've known Lisa for a long time, and uh, I remember when we first were out of school, we got to work together, and we basically rehearsed in a closet. <laughs> and uh, we had a two-week rehearsal period to put up a new play. It was No this, wire hanger. Yeah, summer play festival. <laughs> and literally, uh, in this closet, I realized that I was in the midst of an artist that had great ideas and wanted to bring to the forefront contemporary storytelling. And in a way I was like, oh man, I want to work with this woman for the rest of my life. And of course life drew us in separate directions, but we've always kept tabs on each other. Cause that's how it is when you meet a good artist in the field and you're like, when is it going to come back around? And I hope it is soon. And hopefully I can work with her as a company member. Right. So that that way we can develop this shorthand and trust each other in a room where, It's safe, and yet we can do the most dangerous work possible.
1: Mm -hmm. I love it. How about for you? What have you enjoyed working?
0: Um, I've enjoyed working with Liesl because she's so rigorous. I feel like um, so many um, people that I've worked with in the past have been pretty good about clarity, directing for clarity of story, but they don't have like a take. They don't have an artistic voice as well. Okay. Yeah. Um. So working with someone who actually has a vision, um, and uh, makes it incredibly comfortable for you to trust that your contributions are being guided into a cohesive whole that's gonna be badass. (laughs) (laughs) That's word now. And 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 not just not just like clear. Right. You know, that's actually going to be an evening of theater where there is an experience at hand, um, not just. Uh, an understanding of the English that's being spoken. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's
1: not just just relaying what's on the page. Exactly. you actually come with it with your own sort of vision and angle on it. And oh, you have completely, something to and it's
0: and it's just a different experience working with someone who is also practicing in their artistic expression while guiding you uh, in your shaping of an arc as well. Like just to have everybody in an artistic space.
1: Awesome, that's wonderful. I want to let's drill down cuz I I dig out on that stuff. Right. Give me listeners if this is getting too heady but <laughs> let's drill, drill into that uh, that actor um director character arc work that you guys are talking about. I mean, I know I don't want to just distill it into like, you know, just ambition and just mm-hmm. grief, you know, right. but um mm-hmm. what in terms, you know, we're always talking about like character needs and wants. Like what what when you guys work with them, like what do you say like Macbeth's need is? Like what fuels his ambition?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's something, something that I say to the cast all the time. Um, and when I teach, I say all the time is when you, you know, when you see a really exciting theater, you're watching change mm-hmm. happen, right? So, and this is the same, whether it's a musical or whether it's Shakespeare, or whether it's a new play, you are tracking an arc, you're tracking the plays, storytelling, and the, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. And hopefully there's change. Who who the play is at the beginning and who the play is at the end is completely different, and that's the fun part: is tracking change.
1: If it's if nothing changes, what's the point? Correct.
3: And the same thing with uh, with the characters, and the same thing with an act, and the same thing with a scene, and the same thing with a monologue, the same thing with a song. Monologue. You're tracking change. That is what makes you lean forward in your seat, and that is what is exciting, because we in our lives are always at a crossroads. You know, whether you work as a secretary. Um, whether you work as an accountant, whether you work as an actor, things happen in your life and you have to make choices and, and you have to go with your gut and hope for the best. So we all connect universally to watching people grapple with change. And that's, you know, those, that's how I break it down when I'm, when I'm talking to Mm -hmm. actors working on a scene, who who are you at the beginning of this scene and who are you at the end? And where are the moments in the scene where change happens? That's my work. And then I have to work with the, the actors to, to kind of tease it out of, out of the scene and out of their, the way they're thinking about the, the character. And, and that's what, why it always feels alive and always feels engaging because it's active. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And every little moment has to have its exactly. own, to lesser levels. But, you know, every little moment has a choice and you change because of that. And then you got to work off of exactly. that. Exactly. Because you
3: know, it's a ripple yeah. effect. So you yeah. make a choice here and then and that changes you. It changes your, 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 the person in the scene with you, changes a marriage, it changes a parent, you know, a parent child relationship. And then, the you know, you have to gra- continue to grapple. Um, and that is that is essentially the human existence. When people are miserable is when they feel like they're caught in a rut, when they feel like there's no um, dynamism to their life. Um, You know, and and you don't have to be a a movie star to have dynamism in your life. You know what I mean? You can be a regular person living in a regular apartment with regular family and you're still grappling with change.
1: Absolutely, you hear that, young directors out there. <laughs> it's, don't overthink it. It's simple as that. Like, find the moments of change and dramatize yeah. them. them. Yes, yeah, that's great. What What are those moments of change? Through, I mean, we're talking about a little minuscule ones, scene to scene, but like, yeah. let's let's look maybe macro um, well, throughout for you. What are those like little pivot points? It's
2: so it, on the way over here. we were in the car and we we're talking about Act Five, you know, because that's where we're at and we're grappling with that act. And we we're like, where the hell is Macbeth here now? And it's some The whole play has beautiful poetry, dark and menacing. And then you get to the end and he seems like a wiser man. His poetry starts talking about the yellow leaf of life and where he's at. And then he starts wondering what it is to have death be delivered to him by someone, uh, a messenger and someone he loves when his wife has killed herself and where he goes to. And it's not it's not an emotional uh, uh, you know flood he speaks and he says what's happening in his thoughts so how do you fight that emotional gauge to let it all go mm-hmm. and completely fall apart on stage and focus it to make words to explain not only for yourself but to the people that are listening to the story to come along with you and let him know where he's at and that takes wisdom to do that in act 5 and be uh, a person that has lived to come at, uh, you know, for somebody to come at you and be like, hey, your wife is dead. What do you do? And, you know, there's it's a fact of life. It happens. But then to put it into some of the most beautiful poetry ever written yeah. and place it out there in a way that floats and it's not too emotional that they don't understand it. But I I don't know. I'm grappling with it as we speak, so I don't know how to do that quite yet. And that's why I'm working with Liesl Tommy.
1: (laughs) That's why we're here talking it out, baby. Right, right. But yeah.
2: Do
1: you have any thoughts on your character, Lady Macbeth's, uh, her major, what were we saying, pivot points of change? Yeah.
0: Well, her major pivot points of change. I mean, her journey to me does seem to happen so quickly. Um, but so deeply, I think the getting the initial idea to pursue the ambition beyond the theoretical is a huge shift uh, okay. that provides her life with that fire and that dynamism that was lacking um, before that. I mean, she talks in the play about her ignorant present, just the vapidness of her existence um, until that moment when she has something to aspire to. And then the descent into... Into the the realizations that lead to her utter hopelessness, mm. um, just meeting all of those points as well.
1: Awesome. You you guys kind of alluded to it earlier um, when we were talking about you know its its relevance today. But why is performing this in Washington? <laughs> I mean, this is the ultimate town of ambition and Correct. you know backstabbing and that kind of stuff. So why is it? I don't know who wants to take that one, but
3: well, um, you know when I when I came up with uh, you know with the take with the concept. <clears throat> the C word. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was definitely <laughs> it was definitely influenced by the fact that I was going to be doing it in Washington DC. I definitely feel like that it's that it's a political town, um that the audience is is um you know, is sophisticated in the manner that it is sophisticated. I could um bring a certain kind of political and international Worldview into the play, and they get it. So maybe I wouldn't do this particular take if I were doing the play elsewhere. But I feel like this is quite an informed audience in terms of the intricacies of um, politics and, you know, um, international warfare. Gotcha. What do we see visually?
1: We've talked a lot about the themes and characters and arcs, but I mean, what are if our listeners hear this and show up? What are we What are we seeing? Is it Is it when it was written, what like sixteen something? Yeah, but it, is it contemporary or is it set back? Yeah. No, it's contemporary. I okay. I
3: call it play. It's placed in the um in the future present. Okay, is what I how I describe it, um, and because it's sort of it, it has this now and forever feel to it. Um, and it takes place in um in North Africa. Libya was a um was a, a, a very very important visual reference for us in terms of the research for the. Um, for clothing and for the the design, and um, you know, I'm I'm originally from South Africa, so my point of view, um, my politics were were shaped in a certain way. You know, um, so when I was doing the the interrogation of the script, I thought, who? The first question is, after you you struggle with ambition and Macbeth and Lady Macbeth and that marriage, the next is, who are the witches Ooh. in the future present? Mm-hmm um who, in in our world today who gains from whispering into the ear of an ambitious general that they should kill the king or the president or the prime minister um and it was because i kind of came up with this idea about who the witches were in the present
1: are that you allowed l- to share that with me i
3: am i, I will <laughs> <laughs> um uh the witches so if we're if we're placing this in North Africa, in an oil-rich region of the of the continent, um, people who want to influence and control the leadership of that continent are usually Western interests. Right. Um, they want a puppet leader that they can control, so they have access to resources.
1: Down goes Gaddafi. Up comes who? Mm. Whatever what? we want to. Prop yes, up. exactly.
3: Right. Um, you know, and that's so that is that became the the structure of our. Production of Macbeth.
1: It's fascinating to me that that's and coming from where you come from, you know, that's you probably maybe other people would have taken a totally different take, but that's yeah. what I love when different people grapple with different texts. Is, right, we're going to see this through that prism, and it's that's gonna, that's so cool to me. Yeah.
3: Thank you. I mean, I, I, this is to me why it's so incredibly important that there is diversity in the the role of the director because there are so many different kinds of points of view out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of Shakespeare and classical texts directed by white men. And, you know, there's a lot of us out here who have a lot of different kinds of things to say about the, the stories.
1: That are equally, if not more, badass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. I think
0: all four of us have used it now. Right. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit
1: about your, yourself. So, um, you—I mean, you said you know you—you you said you were born in South Africa. Yeah. Okay. How did you? I want to get to all you guys. So get, get ready on your little mini bio. <laughs> but you know, just take your your general—you know—the abbreviated version. Sure, your rise sure, sure. And how you fell for theater in the first
3: place? Um, you know, grew up in South Africa during the. Um, the apartheid era, and then my family immigrated to the States, to Boston, um, when I was in high school. And that's where I, I discovered theater. And it was a very difficult transition coming from, you know, um, the society that was South Africa then to, you know, America, American high school, I guess. Um, and then I, someone, a teacher, um, Mrs. Inez Dover asked me to be in a play, and that play was for color girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. And it was completely life-changing, and I instantly found community, I instantly found like-minded people, Um, and I never looked back. I always knew from that moment that this is the only thing I wanted to do, much to the stress and chagrin of my immigrant parents were like, we did not sacrifice everything for you to come here and be a what? It's so an funny. Said, what even is that? Literally <laughs>
1: yesterday we interviewed um, a comedian um, from Iran, uh, Maz Jibrani. He said mm, the same thing. Yeah. He said, he goes, it's a very, it's an immigrant parent thing to totally say. Like, horrifying. we fled a revolution to get yes. here. You're being a doctor or That's a lawyer. That's right. Literally a doctor or a yeah. lawyer.
3: And then yeah. there was the point where they're like, well, she she, she can't do trigonometry, so I guess it's a lawyer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so.
1: so. but Okay, so this was the high school play yeah. in, in Boston. How did mm-hmm. you then, what was like the next step? Did you go to some um, great college I went, and study? Or? I went to
3: England and I studied classical theater there. Um, Chekhov, Shakespeare, Ibsen. Um, and, you know, I, I just fell in love with language and I fell in love with epic storytelling because it felt very close to me, you know, epic, uh, the Greeks as well. Again, coming from uh, the society that I come from, these enormous um, issues that people were grappling with in these plays felt very normal to me, right. you know. And then, and I, I worked as an actor, came back to the states, and then I went to Trinity Rep in Rhode Island um, and um, did my my graduate work there, and then moved to New York. And shortly after, I was in New York for a few years. I realized that. As an actor, you don't have control of the content of the work. And because I grew up in such a political family, um, I, I just realized I had to have control over the stories. Right. Um, and so I switched to directing. Um, and my teachers in grad school had encouraged me to direct every year because they felt like that was going to be something I would end up doing. They knew before I did. They could see it in you. I guess they yeah. could. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, you know, it was a, I, I started doing a lot of new plays, political new plays. Um as a director and yeah, it's um, it's been, I never thought that I would actually make it happen. Um, mm. So it's, it's, it's still every single day I get on my knees and thank God that uh-huh. this is my life. That I'm not, you know, still waitressing or still struggling um, and not knowing if I'll actually be able to do it. It's a privilege to be able to do this work. Well,
1: man, that's, a, hey, there you go. You gotta love someone that's grateful and talented, right? <laughs> All right, Macbeth, what's your story? (laughs) Well, I'm grateful. And
2: uh, 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 I I was born in Los Angeles in East L.A., so I'm like the typical cliche, I'm Mexican-American, Chicano. uh, But uh, my parents moved to the city of Commerce, which is right outside East L.A. And uh, I grew up there. uh, My parents moved because they wanted me to stay out of gangs. And so uh, as a kid, I was... I was just always into telling stories, you know, like I would be called up at school during um, uh, to do a report, you know, an oral report, and I would do a whole play out of it. I would do a set and wear costumes and makeup and be the lion and the tiger, you know, and the whole thing. you would talk uh, like that. I know, I mean. Yeah, and I would talk and do these voices. And so I knew something was wrong with me and I had to, like, focus it in. And so uh, I knew I was going to perform. and I, And believe it or not, I started dancing. And joined this dance company that got some attention, and we started dancing for Disney. Oh, nice! And so I was I was with that for a little bit, and I knew I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Like I knew I wanted to tell stories, and as much as the body could tell stories, I wanted to speak and get some words out there, right? Because that's what stories are made of. Right. Um, uh, and so I turned to the um, the director of the dance company, and I said, "Hey, I want to do what Charlie Chaplin does." And he was like, "Whoa! How do we do that? That's you know a silent clown that is telling stories with dance, kind of, but is telling stories in a different way, not just through dance." And so, so he.
1: So you started doing the dance. Of the right. Right, right. Exactly. With <laughs> the <laughs> eating shoestrings exactly. and spaghetti, or what?
2: Yeah. No. So then he took me to uh, the Stella Adler Conservatory of <laughs> Acting West, and that's where I started my training as a young actor. And they were really tough on me, you know, uh, the the program there. Uh, it was really expensive, and my parents were like, what the hell are you doing with your life? <laughs> and so then I, I I looked for a public school that taught theater, and the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts did that. So I went there for three years, met amazing teachers, uh, just started to further the craft, I guess, as a kid, which if I even knew what the hell that was. And then eventually um, I auditioned for a bunch of programs, and I got into Juilliard, moved to New York, oh. never looked back. And I've um, been doing it since, you know, and it's been tough being Mexican-American in this business. Uh, I've always thought of myself as an American actor till you graduate and then you start being stereotyped and being told to put a certain accent on things. And you're like, well, what did I train for then? Right, right. And And it's interesting to do work like this, to do Shakespeare, because you go to a classical training program to do this type of work and very... Seldom do you get the opportunity to actually do it, but then you get scared because nobody gives you that opportunity and eventually somebody does, and you start working on it and you realize, oh man, I I can do this. This
1: is it. I can really
2: do this and I can sink my teeth into this like any other American and, dare I say, Brit can as well.
1: Wow. Man, I love hearing your guys' journeys, (laughs) man. Who
3: who knew? (laughs)
1: Macbeth Chaplin. <laughs> Stop <it. laughs> uh, All right, your turn. My
0: We're- journey is a lot more cliche than yours. Oh, right. um, I am also from Los Angeles, California, and I was born and raised in an area of Los Angeles in Windsor Hills, View Park, Baldwin Hills, Ladera Heights area, where there's um, a lot of black people and a lot of black culture kind of concentrated and there's a woman um, named Marla Gibbs, who you guys probably know from the Jeffersons mm-hmm. uh, or 227. Mm-hmm. She was a very, she was a pillar of our community, of our cultural community. And she thought that it was ridiculous that we as black people lived in this city that contained Hollywood, but weren't included. Mm-hmm. Um, so she created a training program in a school in the center of my community in View Park. And I went to that training program very early, but actually that's not where I got the bug. Mm-hmm. I got the bug because my mom thought I was, knew I was going to be tall and knew we didn't have any money and wanted me to go to college. So she started putting me in a bunch of sports stuff. So volleyball, gymnastics, basketball. And I sucked (laughs) at every single one. And my mom is very athletic. My mother is very, um, she has a lot of masculine energy. So she just didn't understand because she thought it was the funnest thing in the world. And I said, mom, I don't want to go to softball anymore. And she, she, I lived in a household because the gangs were very um, rampant when I was growing up. Doing nothing was not an option. So she was like, either do what I tell you to do or you find something to do. And uh, there's this woman named um, Danielle Spencer who played um, Raj's little sister on that show, What's (laughs) Happening? I'm telling my age. (laughs) 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 She started a summer program at a Los Angeles community college. And I told her my mom I wanted to do that. And she said, if I pay for this... I don't care if you don't like it in the middle. You're staying. You're finishing And you're finishing it through. And I got in there and they did an uh, adaptation of Cinderella, like Cinderella in the Hood or something like that. (laughs) And they cast me as Cinderella. So Mm. that's when I got bit. Yeah. And I learned all the lines. Everybody's lines. Everybody's blocking. All the choreography. I could do the whole show by my damn self.
1: Wow. Um, just happened your very godmother was on What's Happening.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew, Right. (laughs) And so then she introduced me to the Marla Gibbs School, and I went to Marla Gibbs School. And then um, a woman by the name of Wendy Raquel Robinson, who is on the Steve Harvey Show and The Game, Mm -hmm. she was a part of the early faculty, and she started a school that was focused on musical theater, training triple threats. So I then went to her school in high school, and um, she's still a, a mentor and a very close friend today. So that's how I started And and I went to Howard University, DC, Mm -hmm. um, mostly because of Wendy Raquel Robinson's uh, influence on my life. I could have went to UCLA. I would have never left Mm -hmm. LA. And then I went to NYU. Um, I didn't even want to go to NYU. I wanted a master's degree because I wanted. I thought it would be good to have something to fall back on. Fall back on your volleyball career. (laughs) Um, And I didn't want to go. I wanted to go back home, um, but. Something about the universe knew that I should be there. And I got in and um, I, asked, I asked Zelda Vichandler if I could defer. I said, oh, wow. so can I defer for a year uh, and come back? I just need time away from school. And she was like, you could reapply. Yeah. I said, I guess I'll see you in August. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that training, um, I, I've kind of, the art has served me in different ways throughout the entire course of my life since I was eight years old, mm-hmm. um, Started my personal, right. spiritual, intellectual development my entire life, and now at this point in my career now as an actress and a playwright, um, I, I'm so thankful that I have that platform and that medium and that skill and that craft to participate in my society because it's it's where I'm supposed to be. Mm.
1: All three of you guys are supposed to be here in this room mm. working on this play. I love, I and I love that all of your three journeys have have crossed paths into this because I, I can know. tell. I this didn't is even gonna, know it does it does be, this going to be special. Meant to be, it does. So if our listeners are hearing this, I always like to, at the end to just you know boil it down.
3: Why should they come out? Well, um, if you like badass theater, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. No, if you want to see Charlie Chaplin in volleyball, right. Star. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yes when you, when you talk about original concepts that's true <laughs> you <can't find> <laughs> no if you want to see something really different but anchored in incredibly beautiful language that feels like your life right now then come and see this play it's gonna you're gonna lean forward and the, the performances are astounding um they're making me look really good
1: <laughs> awesome! Uh, again, guys, it's Macbeth at Shakespeare Theater Company. You want to say Macbeth one more time before we leave the room because it's the safe space. So, I mean, just you want to get, you want to get, Macbeth. yeah, get it now. Macbeth,
3: Macbeth, Macbeth.
1: That I three years I hear thee. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, guys. Thank,
3: Thank you so much.